0: I'll work on it. Sometimes it's hard. Uh, Talking about our uh, 63 years in the ministry, you run across a lot of things. And uh, one of the young men that was in our church studying to be a minister, he asked me, what is the best thing I can do to enhance my ministry? And uh, I told him, well, number one, read your Bible, be sure what's in it, and be sure what's not in it. And then I gave him a little tidbit. Kind of funny, one of the friends of mine was uh, debating with somebody, and he was kind of losing it, and he ended up by saying this, I don't know what you believe, but I believe the Bible says every tub sits on its own bottom. And uh, I asked him, where did you find that scripture? And of course you've heard that over and over, it's not scripture. It's just something that people have said time and time again. And then I've told him also, be sure that you read every portion of the verse. Don't read part of it and try to make a message out of it. Read everything that it says. And then I give him another kind of funny thing uh, that shows up when you don't uh, uh, want to use the whole verse. And the pastor would ask the saints to uh, call out their favorite verse and uh, with that recite it. And everybody did that, and finally there was an old maid, no offense to anybody here, there was an old maid sitting in the front, and she simply said that I have a, 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 a scripture that I want to tell you about, and she said it's in Matthew 16:24. And then she starts to recite it, and it, it says, goes like this, If any man will come after me, let him. Okay, so where's that going? (laughs) And so I told him, be sure, be sure that you just don't make a message on a portion of a scripture. I will be reading this morning from Philippians to 2nd chapter. And I'll be reading from the 5th down to the 8th verse. Now, I'm going to going to delve in to prophecy and all of this stuff, I could because I was raised in Revelations and Daniel. <laughs> my dad, of course, was a prophetic preacher, and uh, I was raised in that, and so I have my ideas on what Revelations or Daniel talking about, but I see sometimes things that bother me in my own life, and I want to talk about those, and I'd like to have your attention and listen. And I know that this applies to every one of us. And we need to understand that God needs some praise and honor. And I see people come, come to the altar. They receive the blood of Jesus Christ and, and uh, the power that God gives them and goes back and nothing else has ever done or said, and uh, I would like to talk this morning about what we mean to Christ. What do we mean to Christ? You can say that to yourselves, but we're always talking about what Christ means to us, and that's great, because Christ means a lot to us, but have you ever stopped to think and look? Down through, these are going to be simple things that we know about, but it's only to jog our attention to what we mean to Christ, what we still mean to him, what we've always meant to him, and why he did what he did for us. So I'm going to begin at the fifth verse of the second chapter of Philippians, and it says, Let this mind be in you which also was also in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a sermon in itself, but I'm not going to go there or stop there. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men and being found in a fashion as a man. He humbled himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Heavenly Father, we're thankful always for the preservation of your divine words. Father, the things that you leave for us to grow, you leave for us to be humbled by. And Father, we pray this morning that you would take charge of this vessel, and you would speak only the words that you would desire to speak and the truth that you want to speak. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now, what Christ underwent for us is really meaningless until we become familiar with the extent of his humiliation. What he did, he humbled himself... Veiled that Shekinah glory with flesh and taking upon himself the robe of a servant. Did this in order to feel as we feel. Now many times we don't think God knows where we're at. We don't think God knows how we feel. We don't think God is concerned in areas. But one of the reasons he came wasn't just to shed his blood that we would be saved, but he came to walk in the steps that we walk in so he could feel my actual uh, reality, so he could feel as we feel any time. He felt joy. He felt sorrow. He felt humiliation. He felt his need at all times. Or something or somebody to walk with him and care about him. Now this Jesus, and this is what I want to talk about most, came into the world with a dual nature. You now, first, of the flesh, he was of the lineage of David, human nature. In dwelling that flesh was the very God himself, divine nature. Jesus was all God. Jesus was all man. He did not receive the spirit. He was the spirit, and that God would be desirous and willing to become a partaker of man's lot, to me, is a staggering truth. Why he would want to come down, feel and know, just by experience, what we go through and understand every step that we take to me is a staggering truth. Why would he do that? Because that's what he thinks of us. That's what he thought of us. That's what he still thinks of us. That's what he will always think of us, that we were desirous of his divine love. I dwell on that a lot, because I don't feel like sometimes we look in the Bible and try to find out in our own spirit What did God suffer for me? What did he do? See, it's easy for us to believe God as a divine spectator, you know, up there in the heavens viewing mankind in his plight and in his sorrow and all of that. It's easy for us to look at him and say he's a divine spectator. He's just looking at us. He's doing nothing, but God become willing To be a partaker of man's lot, again to me, is a staggering truth. You see, he not only was a divine spectator, but he appears when he came as a central participant in man's plight and what God is and what God is to man. You see, that evening at Bethlehem, the Creator no longer remained an observer of human tragedy. He no longer stood in the heavens and looked and saw what man was going through. Now, when he came, veiled in flesh, he was found in the very center of the plight of mankind. That's where he is, saints, in our lives this morning, in the very center of our lives, in the very center. And by the virtue of a dual nature, he was ready to enter and fully explore completely man's misery and even man's death. There was not a sickness that he knew about, or what he knew about. There was not a sin at life for what he knew about. There was nothing in a sense for what our Savior didn't feel when he came down and took on flesh to walk as we walk. He felt as we do, human flesh. Divine, struggling, working, trying to find which one is going to master of it at all. You see, in this way, God entered into the cesspool of human existence and delivered them or us who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject under bondage. You'll find out in Hebrews 2.15 and there is a condensation God willing to be equipped with human nature. Came down, was in human nature, and did have a divine nature. You see, there was no other way for God to know experimentally our fallen existence until he comes down to know and feel what is right. You see, I've heard people say, well, how does God know What if he know anything about it? And failure to realize he knows because he came and he put on flesh like ours and he dwelt among people like us and he knows that because he walked among it and because he felt it. And he still is concerned about us today. You see, how else could the Savior be tempted Except he have the sin have the same avenue as ours, in his soul as ours does. You see, we we sometimes we get the idea that Jesus had a little more to deal with all of this than we did, but that is not so. And we'll get that in a minute. You see, with his true nature, Jesus was in a position to experience everything. That comes into the life of any Christian, regardless of a little one or a big one. In fact, in first, really, Christ was the first one to live a struggle between the two natures. Until Jesus came, suffered, bled, and died for us, gave us the ability to have the power of the Spirit of God inside of us. We only had one nature. That was the human nature. It was ruling. It did whatever it wanted to do. And that's why Jesus lived in two natures because he knew we was going to have to live in two natures. And if we did, he was telling us how we could do that and still live above sin. Now, a lot of people say, well, you can't live above sin. Well, I think really... If we had our mind where it ought to be, I think we could, all right? I'm not saying we do, and I'm not saying I do, but I am saying this, Jesus, with what we have, what he had, lived above sin. Somebody said, well, he was Jesus. He had more than we did. Now, how could he be our example if he had more uh, than what we have, and he is asking us to follow him? If he if he didn't know inside of us there was the same ability that was inside of him that caused him to overcome sin and that caused him to make decisions all the time which was the right decision. You see it's a wonderful thing when God asks us to live a Christian life. He's not asking us to do something but what he has already done. As an example for us that we might understand it has been done, it can be done, and it will be done. The only thing that is going to light a fire under the church of the living God, the only thing that's going to make us concerned about souls out here in our world is for a fire to be lit under us, and we realize that God left us. The ability to live as he lived, worship as he worshiped, and do the things he did. You say, well, Brother Roy, you're going way out. No, I'm trying to point you why Jesus came. I'm trying to let you know that he left us with the ability to be like him. I'll say it again. He left us with the ability to be like him. He left us with a challenge when he said, follow me. Follow me. How are we going to follow him if we don't have what he had? If we're not equipped with what he had, we are equipped with what Jesus had, and sometimes we don't recognize it because we walk contrary. Sometimes we're always walking on the human side of what we have. Two natures. Which nature rules? Kind of like the two dogs, a white dog and a black dog. The black dog was bigger than the white dog. And somebody said, why is that? They so said, simply because he eats what I give him. And sometimes they said, Pastor, this is good. Sometimes it is good when you start eating what's placed out here before you in the pulpit. All right, now you don't just sit there and look and say, well, I've been this way all the time and God's been good to me. He has. He has. But you are not living and I am not living up to the expectation of Almighty God. You are not living in that divine spirit that he placed in you when you came and God filled you with his divine presence. And he did that simply because he knew you was going to be traveling in this world with two natures. A choice has to be yours. You see, Jesus simply did not or was not forced to live as he was. He uh, could have sinned, but he didn't. We could sin, but we do. Amen? We could not sin, uh, but we don't. You see, Jesus walked in the valleys of decision. How many have ever been in the valley of decision? Raise your hand. He walked in the valley of decision. All right. Actually, his whole life called for a decision. And sometimes he was always faced with the choice of those two natures. Which one? Which one, God? What decision should I make? And sometimes we get overboard. Sometimes we make up our own mind. Sometimes God is not moving in a direction we want him to move. And so we start listening to this one. But when God places something before us and God says, this is the way I want it done, we need to wait until he moves every obstacle and we have the advantage of everything. And we listen to the nature, divine nature, God's nature, God's mind, God's will, God's desire, everything that is inside of God. We need to understand and we need to to know whether he walked as an example so we could walk in the world as an example. We need to know by the power of the living God, he lived and brought people to him and people were healed. We need to know that he died on the cross for us and he lives again and came again and not only did he shed his blood, he shed his divine nature on us so we could have a dual nature, not only one that was just contrary to the will of God. Sometimes testing, testing, God was learning by experience. The enormous power. You see, sometimes we forget about the power of the fleshly man that was with God. He was he was came and he learned by experience. He learned the enormous power and pool of a sinful nature. Let me show you on one of the things that we forget sometimes is that he groaned within himself when he faced a major major decision. When a dreadful time he was there and both of his natures was pleading for his soul's decision. That was our Christ. That was our Savior. That was the one that said when you... Have decisions to make. You need to groan within yourself. You need to cry out. You need to find out really what it is. Sometimes it's not a good thing that we're looking for, sometimes it's just on the contrary side because God is working on us and desiring us to do something in our life. He had two natures right there bleeding, pleading for his soul's decision. Everything. I'll say everything depended upon this fateful moment when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and when he went to the cross. His life of, a, of obedience was coming to a climax. In other words, he lived sinless. He had not sinned. He lived a life of purity. He had everything surrounding him that could have controlled him had he desired it and let it. But he had something inside. Hallelujah. We got something inside, saints, if we'll just let it rule us. We've got what it takes if we'll just let that rule us. If we'll just understand, I can't always walk after what I want. As a Christian, we are here and should be to find out What does God want out of my life? Not what I want out of my life. Not where I want to go. Not what I want to do. But what does God want out of our lives? Human nature says, well, let's just go out and have some fun, and let's just dwell on the fact that Jesus saved us. I feel like, and there's something inside uh, that drew me to this as I uh, saw and experienced or looked and experienced individuals that are fully satisfied with allowing the blood of Christ to cleanse them. They never look to see what it costs. I'll guarantee you one thing, Saints, if you ever look and see what it costs God and how much He loved us, and you start praising Him from your lips, there's going to be a praise and honor of Almighty God that you could never know and understand, and fire would come down from heaven and saturate souls of humanity, regardless of who you are. You see, here Christ is. His life lived just like we're supposed to be lived. His obedience, man, future, everything about mankind was dependent on him at this hour. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I told you, you know this. But do you know it? Do you experience it? Have you looked back on it enough to understand this is why you're here. This is why you feel good in God. This is why. It's because he was going to give you a chance to work as he did. And there was some agony. Listen, have you ever thought about the agony of the decision that Jesus had? Have you ever looked and thought about What it really cost him to salvage our soul? Or have we just lived carelessly in the fact that, well, God saved me. I thank him for the blood. Have you ever thought about what it cost him and how much that he cares about you enough to do something for him and honor his divine presence as he walks through you? See, there was agony there. And the scripture gives us a full account, and it says, And being in agony, he prayed earnestly, and his sweat, as there were great drops of blood, word for that is humanidosis, falling down to the ground. Something heavy was upon the soul of the master. Souls were dependent on the decision he made Between this flesh and this spirit. Two, struggling right there in the garden. He wasn't just there with God. He was there with nature. He was there with human nature. He was there struggling against What nature wanted. You see, he even prayed for that. And sometimes we can't even decide whether we want to watch television or go to church. Come on now, don't don't back up on me here, because you know it is so. And we make our decisions based on the human nature, not upon the nature of God. God knows what we ought to do. He knows what he left for us to do. But he was there in a garden, and the powers of darkness and the armies of light waged their conflict on the battlefield of Christ's soul. What you were going to become and what you were going to be was dependent upon the decision Jesus Christ made there. You said Satan had access to God and to man's nature. And he was exerting all the pressure that he could to have Jesus to walk out there and turn from the flesh and listen to what flesh said. You see, through man's nature, he was exerting, exerting, exerting a soul of a man. This was a man. This was a man. This was a man and a God-man. This is no more than what we are. This is a natural man. This is a spiritual man. If we're not a spiritual man or individual, we need to be because that is our leadership. You see, Matthew records, well, let's just put it this way. Spirit and the spirit against flesh and the flesh against spirit. And this is the way the Apostle Paul uh, put it more times than one. And he said these two are contrary one to another. Contrary one to another. What's that mean? They never agree on anything. Flesh never agrees with what the spirit wants you to do. And a way to test that out is find out what God wants you to do and then listen to what the devil says to uh, do away with God, uh, uh, with what God wants you to do and listen to what he says. And you need sometimes, and I need sometimes, to be in a battle like Jesus was for our soul's commitment to who we are and whose we are. Right. We certainly need that. And that is a... Battle. How many of you, how many of you knew that? Come on. That's a battle. I mean that that's not fun and games. That's not a choice we make by ourselves. That is a battle on how we live our lives. Okay? Now, what was it he prayed? Father, if it is possible who was asking this, if it's possible, remove this from me. If it's possible, remove this from me. He didn't want to die any more than we did. If it's possible. And then before it was all over, he said, thy will be done. But Matthew records that this matter was not settled until Jesus had dealt with this decision three times. You can't just click your finger once it's over. Jesus was there struggling for our souls. Jesus was there fighting the battle. Jesus was there trying his best to fulfill the plan of God there. I don't know what you think about it, but I think we are here to salvage souls. I think we are here to show people what it's like, to live a Christian life and have God with us. I think that's what God wants out of us. And I think sometimes when we have calamities and we have problems, sometimes we need to look to God and understand he had them too. He understands you. If you don't get an answer, how many times did Jesus ask and he didn't get an answer? Okay, that's an example to us. You see, he went to the garden, Declared to his disciples, he said, the spirit is willing. It wants to do the will of the divine nature. But the flesh is weak. Oh, I don't know how many times I've said that. I don't know how many times I'll probably say it again. God, I want to do this. I really do. I I want to please you. And then the flesh comes along and it's weak. And, and, and first thing you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a decision. You see, Jesus hadn't read this someplace. He had just went through it himself. You see, flesh is so weak, and I want you to listen to this. Flesh is so weak, and Jesus pointed that out, It's so weak that after one had spent whole nights in prayer and after one had lived a whole life surrendered to the will of God, In the Garden of Gethsemane, one still has to sweat great drops of blood before he can say, not my will, but thy will be done. See what it takes. Understand what it takes. Look what it takes as Jesus wrestled with a final decision. You see, it is a Savior, my Savior. It is our Savior. It is one that simply says, oh, Father, if it's possible... Let this pass from me. Nevertheless, and I still remember those words and it rings in my ear. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but thy will be done. My wife and I have been a lot of places, done a lot of things, overseas a lot. We don't discuss much. But sometimes we have gotten to the place where we have to get a hold of God and ask him, God, if this is your will, We will do it, but we've got to know if it's your will. We don't just sit there and say, well, you know, I'll pick this and I'll pick that, and it's the will of God. We had to get together. We had to pray. We had to understand. We had to understand that God would send us overseas. We had to understand why did God send us there. We had to understand why God sent us to certain churches. We had to understand. We had to understand this is what God wanted us to do, not what we wanted to do. And it's still the same way. I'm still 90 years old. I'm still trying to find out in the scriptures and in my life, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And I've asked myself the question, hey, you don't think we struggled when we came here and left our home and went with uh, Dale and Goy, and uh, there for several months And wonder what we were supposed to do. And we prayed what we were supposed to do. We didn't understand what we were supposed to do. We didn't have a church anyplace. What we were supposed to do. And you know what? After prayer and so on. What God told us to do. Is go to Crossway Fellowship. And go there. And be a help to them. If you can. And see we went here. Because God sent us here. Not necessarily because we didn't even know who you are. We didn't, know the, we didn't know anything other than when we came, one thing we did feel is the love of Almighty God and the concern of people about here. And I first came in and I said, I, there was a bunch of young people out there the first time I came and I'm, so I said, I'm looking for God. I'm lost and I'm looking for God. And they said, well, you'll find him right here. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, I was lost, but I did find out there. But I want you to know, sometimes it takes some earnest prayer. I'm not saying, I'm sorry we came. I'm just saying we had to know what was the will of God. And we still have to find out what's the will of God. Do I stay here until I'm 91? (laughs) Do I stay here until I'm 92? Do I stay here until I'm dead? Hey, I don't know. I'd like to. But if God points out and says, there's somebody over there, I'm going to send you over there. And I I always argue with him. At 90 years old, you're going to send me over there? God, don't you think I've done enough? Okay. Of course, none of you have ever said that, have you? Of course not. But what I want you to know is two natures. You have them. And Jesus had them. And Jesus met you at an altar. And Jesus blessed you as he cleaned you up and washed you. And that was not enough. Jesus sent his divine nature so that you were no longer working and walking in just one nature. Now you got two. now you got a battle. And now you've got to understand it's a war. It's a war against flesh and <coughs> spirit. Now I, I wouldn't want you to raise your hand. But I would like to ask you in your own self, how many have really ever Look. looked and asked God, why did you save me? We know where he brought us from, but did we ever look to see what it took to salvage you from where you was at. I was a preacher's son, but I wasn't really a preacher's son, okay? I got off on a long track. I went to the army. I'm known as a primary alcoholic. That is, if you drink take one drink, that's it. And I got that in in uh, the army, and I came back a drunkard. Was a drunkard for years, and then I got a divine nature. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah! I got a divine nature, and that divine nature brought me from life to death to life, and I wouldn't go back for anything in this world. How often do you look and ask yourself the question, how much did he read it carefully? How much do I give him praise for that? Or do I just say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul? Thank you, Lord, for making me home. And that's not enough. Go back. I think your life will be different. I really do. I think it will be different if you go back. Just find out from beginning to end how much God thought of you and how much he still thinks of you. There's a dealing here in this building now There's God dealing with somebody, and that somebody needs to come forth. We still have time. We need to come forth and find out from here with people to help. Help me to follow my divine nature. And there are souls here, at least two that I can count right now, but I'll never call you out. I wouldn't do that would you stand with me I'll give turn it over in just a few minutes